Imagine what I could do for organizations in St. Louis, Missouri, who are trying to bridge the gap between deaf and hard of hearing families. Or in Colorado Springs, we have a children's museum who have been um, struggling to keep their doors open during the pandemic and giving them ways on how they can build their volunteer team so they can keep the organization going or other organizations that are foundations and everything in between who really just need kind of the, the foundational steps, because oftentimes we forget the foundation of a nonprofit, not the, you know, foundation is an actual or entity that gives away money, but the foundational piece is like a house that especially founders, we want to get the walls up and the windows up and the chimneys up like right here, right now, we got to go, we got to go, we got to change the world. Um, but we often spend time, we often forget to spend time on building the foundation, the volunteers, the infrastructure, the capacity of in which your organization is going to thrive upon. Are you looking for ways to shorten your marketing learning curve and help your organization survive and thrive? Welcome to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast a show for purpose-focused leaders who want to use marketing techniques to fuel their organization's growth. If you're a returning listener and you haven't subscribed already, we'd love to have you. Also, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now here's your host, author and marketing specialist, Stu Swinefort. Hey everybody, Stu here. My guest today is Kristen Faith, the CEO of the nonprofit makeover. And she is just amazing. If you are in need of a boost in, um, you're feeling stuck, you're feeling like you're a little burned out. Kristen has the recipe for you today. We talked about everything from leadership to goal planning, to social media, to creating content to just getting something started and and making small steps. It was an amazing conversation. I am sure you're going to have as much fun with it as I did. Um, Kristen is just, she's just fantastic, full of energy and um, is doing such good in the world to help nonprofits uh, thrive and survive. So I hope you have a great time listening to it. Hello, Kristen. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm super. I am really happy to have you join us. You are from Colorado Springs, correct? I live in Colorado Springs, but I'm from California. Nice. How long have you been in the Springs? In November, it will be five years. Nice. I did four years in Colorado Springs back when I was in college, way back in the day. Um, It's such a fun little town. And um, I I had a great time while I while I lived there. So Welcome to Colorado slash Colorado Springs. It's good to have you have you here. I know you're doing a lot of really amazing stuff at at your business, the nonprofit makeover. And I'm really excited to hear your story. So you started this whole journey by by founding your own nonprofit. Is that, that right? That is correct. So I could walk you through the story if you'd like. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Cool. So Just about 10 years ago, I left an abusive relationship. Actually, it marked uh, 10 years uh, a few days ago. And I left that relationship, decided that I wanted to go into nonprofits. I was going to school at San Diego State at the time and really was feeling pulled and led to creating an organization. Um, Keep in mind, I went to school for journalism, not social work. 
<laughs> and decided to create a nonprofit while I was in college and wanted to help other families who were just like mine. And so created that organization. We uh, became a nonprofit in 2012. We were approved in a week by the IRS and the rest was history. Uh, we were reaching about 200 million people on social media and raising a lot of money online as well. Um, transitioned out of the organization back in 2020 because I knew that I wanted to share my gifts with other causes. And that's exactly what I've been doing. That's fantastic. That must have been really interesting to start a nonprofit while in college. I know that there are a bunch of hoops that you need to jump through as uh, when one starts that up. And it usually, you know, the 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 founders of nonprofits are usually just, you know, 237 percent of their time is spent on the nonprofit. So I can't imagine right. going to school and doing that at the same time. Um, I mean, that's really great. I appreciate your vulnerability on 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 that story and for for taking that jump and doing that. That's that's just fanta- fantastic. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced as you were kind of ramping that up? Sure. So kind of to tag on to what you just mentioned, um, I remember starting my nonprofit and very much in alignment with what you just said. I was working about 20 hours a day, seven days a week for a really long time when I started my nonprofit. And so now when I do nonprofit consulting, I make it my life's mission to make sure that nonprofits are working smarter. A lot of organizations that start have the building blocks or maybe have the funding or the support financially to make it happen. I was self-funding while I was in college. So my scholarships, my grant money, the little money that I had here and there, you know, that college budget, um, that's how I funded the inner workings of the organization in the early days. Um, and also going to school full-time and working full-time. So I was very much, uh, busy and the passion that I had to help other families is literally the fuel that kept me going. So. Oh, that is great. I, I totally feel that. I, I hear that all the time, you know, entrepreneurs and people who found, found businesses and, and they're passionate about what they're doing and they're, they're creating organizations and they're doing good things for the world. And then they find that they just have no time for themselves and they're just, right. they're just buried. And yes. And that is not a real sustainable model for 100%. for most people. Um, yes. What what have you done at the nonprofit makeover to help people kind of overcome that uh, that step of the, of the process? Right. When I hear, which I know you know, is when I hear from nonprofit founders or even nonprofit volunteers and workers, they're overworked and they're burnt out. And not only that, they're underpaid. And that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother topic. But um, one of the things that I like to do when working with nonprofits is looking at their inner workings and seeing what they're doing and then really plugging in from there to fill in the gaps to say, okay, I see that you're doing X, Y, and Z, but I see that there's a gap in your fundraising efforts. I see that there's a gap in your marketing efforts. I see that you have no team or lack thereof of a sufficient amount of people who are helping you. And so I take all of the challenges that I personally went through, and it's one of those things where I see it like, gosh, I wish I would have had this. And so everything that I wish I would have had, I pour that into my clients. So the three big buckets that I like to address, because there's so many when it comes to nonprofits, is marketing, 
particularly teaching them how to go online. Um, because when I started my nonprofit, I literally shared my restraining order on Facebook and let the world read it. And for a lot of DV advocates at the time, they were like, why would you do that? That's absolutely against what we're about as advocates. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm an untraditional kind of gal and I'm going to do whatever it takes to really flip this issue on its head. So I teach people how to go digital. I teach people how to raise money online. And I also teach people how to really build a solid team. Um, Because when I built my nonprofit, we were pretty much completely virtual our entire existence. Now we had in-person programs, um, but most of my team, most of my staff were literally remote. So we were literally doing great things before the pandemic was even a thing. Um, so when I transitioned out, that was exactly what I wanted to bring to nonprofits tables is, Hey, I've been doing this before. It was a requirement and I've been doing it well. So, um, I hope that answers your question in a lot of different ways. (laughs) It definitely did. It gave me some, some great follow-up questions for you. One of the things that, that most nonprofits leaned on or many nonprofits, I'll say, leaned on prior to the pandemic were were in person events and and raising money in that in that very much you know we're in the same room kind of um, perspective and and so we heard a lot about pivots and a lot about shifts and 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 those types of things during the pandemic and um, and so it's really great to hear that you you never even really seem to have had that model. You seem to have have been kind of fully digital and and remote from the get go. What are some of the some of the tips that you would have for nonprofits who are who are still maybe trying to figure that out even even a couple of years after after we've been doing this almost full time? Sure. So just for cl- for clarification and transparency, those are two nonprofit words that love to be thrown around all the time. Um, I did play with in-person events. I didn't play with grants as much as a lot of nonprofits do. Um, My biggest thing that if anyone listening to this right now is like, oh my God, I need that. Um, I actually have a masterclass that I created that also has inside of it, a 30 streams of revenue guide. Meaning if you haven't diversified your funding and here we are, uh, post pandemic, I'm going to need you to tap in real quick. Um, <laughs> simply my 30, 30 streams of revenue showcase different ways on how nonprofits can raise money beyond just the, you know, the car washes and the bake sales and asking your neighbor for money or asking the random person down the street for money. Um, we have to make sure as nonprofits that in the event, because we've seen it, we no one never thought this was coming. Um, but in a case of a world crisis, what are you going to do to be prepared for the unknown? Now, I didn't realize that going digital was going to be um, what saved us during the, the pandemic. I thought it was convenient because here I was at the time located in San Diego, but I was helping people in South Africa, New York City, Wichita, Kansas, Florida, and everywhere in between. And so how could I reach those people if I only focus on in-person? So I focused a lot of it digitally, including our programs, but we also had in-person programs. Um, So my tip for people who are listening would be diversify your funds, number one. And number two, build your community. Build your community. I can't say it so many more times after that. Um, It's an important piece that a a lot of organizations miss. 
Yeah. What are some of the, some of the activities that you have used successfully for, for your clients or for your own nonprofit to build that community, to get, get those people together? So one of the things that I want to do when I was at my organization is what would I, and maybe this is something for people to think about, um, is that when I created it, I asked myself, well, what would I have wanted when I was in my abusive relationship? And I wanted to be educated about domestic violence. I wanted to be empowered. So teach me, um, show me the ways, give me resources. Um, and number three, I wanted to be connected with other people who understood me. And so I think more than ever, the pandemic showed us that community is everything. And, you know, going virtual is convenient, but you really miss that relationship-based thing. So it's kind of like spinning the idea of doing in-person events and not, not necessarily like, oh, now it's smaller events, but it's things like I was hosting women's retreats. I was hosting retreats for families who lost loved ones to DV. Um, I was hosting get togethers. I was hosting, you know, programs that were for everyone to be a part of that were educational. Um, even the way that we marketed, I wanted to be very different than what other people are used to. I was tired of seeing stop domestic violence. I wanted to hear something more in your face, like fuck DV. And when you hear that, you're like, oh, oh my God, that's so offensive. And, you know, for everyone listening who is offended, I apologize, but not really, because if you're offended at me saying the F word, then you completely miss the point that domestic violence was in there also. Um, so really to get the community involved is to really look inside your community and see what's missing and fill in the gap, create it, do it because they will come. Yeah, that's just really, really a, a fantastic advice. I, I really also like just this idea that you you don't have to do things the same way all the time, and and hearing you talk about how how you know people people might be taken aback by by you sharing your your legal information uh, online or or using you know quote unquote offensive language that is, is tied to something that's even more offensive than just the language that was being used is um, it's, it's a, a real eye, eye opener. I think that there are a lot of people that are afraid to be vulnerable and afraid to be authentic. And, um, you know, for the, you know, this fear of, of what they might, you know, who they might offend or, or who they might miss out on. But, um, but what's, what's fascinating about about authenticity and vulnerability is that it draws the right people to your organization as well as it, um, it, you know, it differentiates and it also is just, um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's just the way to be. I think I, I'm, I'm really excited to see more and more people jumping on that bandwagon and not just trying to, to be, you know, the next X, Y, or Z, but is, is trying to really make their own mark. Right. Have you have you gotten a lot of blowback from that? I know you know you mentioned some people saying you know being a little taken aback by by some of those activities, but has there been has there been blowback? Do you think do you think you've missed out on opportunities because of 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 your authenticity? Um, I'm going to say yes and no. I say yes in the sense of there have been people that were like mm, this is in my cup of tea. And no, 
is on that same kind of tangent. Well, I really don't care <laughs> <laughs> because everyone's cup of tea is everybody's cup of tea. Um, yeah. And I, I had to really remember because um, I was also young when I created my organization. I'm, I'm still young, but when you know you're younger, creating a business and also going through life and learning yourself as a person, um, you know we go through these this like identity situation where you second guess what you're doing because society tells you, Oh, you shouldn't do it. Um, so that was kind of the challenge was like, Oh, I'm not making everybody pleased with what I'm doing. But at the same time, I might've missed, you know, handfuls of people here and there, but reached millions of people. Um, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't trying to reach everybody. I was trying to reach the people that wanted to listen. And I think that really makes a difference for people who are creating organizations or businesses or anything in between that you got to hone in on your niche, but hone in on your demographic. I wanted to reach millennials. And so people that were older than myself, maybe my parents' generation and beyond, you know, they didn't really, I mean, they, a lot of them resonated with what I was doing. Um, but at the same time, my message wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. I wanted to end domestic violence and it, and address it to younger people and make it cool to talk about the issue. That was mm-hmm. the whole idea. I don't want to say stop domestic violence. I didn't want to say don't do it because I'm not going to I'm not going to care that you said that. But if you're in my face, you have whistles, you have campaigns, you have tattoos, you have whatever, I can relate to that. Um so did I miss out on opportunities? I mean, maybe, but the opportunities that have opened because of the vulnerability, because of my literal taking a leap of faith and like doing the literal unconventional stuff that really made a name for me and what I built for my nonprofit. Yeah. I was kind of hoping that would be your answer is like, well, who cares? Um, because <laughs> ultimately I think that that's what we really, you know, if, if all of us could strive to that, that, that being incredibly connected to, to the most engaged audience is, is often a lot more powerful and effective than being kind of wishy-washily and connected with everybody and um and it's kind of like there's a saying you know if you're not if you're not pissing off a couple of people here and there then you're not trying hard enough or you're you're not being you're you're not being authentic enough or or whatever i mean you can't be everything to everybody and and i think that um you know, I think that people, particularly when they're starting out, there's a fear of missing out and there's a fear of, I mean, I know I did it. I've, I've definitely gone after clients that weren't, weren't the greatest fit. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for, for many years now. So, so I have, I've hopefully grown out of that a little bit, but, uh, but you know, when you can work with and connect with and influence and help out the, the exact audience you can go so much farther than if you're trying to help out everybody. Exactly. Um, so I, I just love that. I love that you've taken that approach and you're just like, ah, I don't care. That's fine. The, yeah. They'll figure that they'll figure right. it out themselves. Right. So when a client, so you've shifted from, I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're still doing some, some DV work, but you've shifted your focus to trying to help more, um, more nonprofits do great things. What, what does that experience look like for them when they come and start working with you? What, what are the, some of the things that they should have thought about or teed up or, or 
be prepared to discuss when they when they sit down in front of you, Kristen? Sure. So a lot of the organizations that reach out to me, and there's so many, and kind of tag on to what you said a second ago, is that I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into board meetings and board members are like, well, why do we have to have social media? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God. <laughs> um, and you know, in that moment, um, I could sit there and debate them as to why they need social media, or I can say, thank you. If you, you know, down the road feel that I'm a good fit, then let's talk. Um, But for the organizations who see and understand that, oh my gosh, I need to get with the program. um, They're kind of just willing and open to everything and anything I have going on. Um, What's so funny is that a client told me the other day, that the masterclass that I created was like drinking from a fire hydrant. And I was Mm -hmm. like, you could take that in a negative way, or you can take that in a positive way because I mean, I mean, who's really going to drink from a water, a fire hydrant. But if you think about it from like a creative standpoint, well, shoot, I guess I'm thirsty. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So the way that I like to make it work with the organizations is really challenging their ideas and taking what they have and making it better. I'm not trying to change change anybody's mission and what they're doing out in the community. I just want to make it better. And the way that I see it and the passion that drives me is that when an organization wins, we all win. And my vision when I transitioned out of my nonprofit was I want to share my gifts with more causes. If I could reach 200 million people to educate them about abuse, Imagine what I could do for organizations in St. Louis, Missouri, who are trying to bridge the gap between deaf and hard of hearing families. Or in Colorado Springs, we have a children's museum who have been um, struggling to keep their doors open during the pandemic and giving them ways on how they can build their volunteer team so they can keep the organization going or other organizations that are foundations and everything in between who really just need kind of the the foundational steps, because oftentimes we forget the foundation of a nonprofit, not the you know, foundation is an actual or entity that gives away money, but the foundational piece is like a house that especially founders, we want to get the walls up and the windows up and the chimneys up like right here, right now, we got to go, we got to go, we got to change the world. Um, but we often spend time, we often forget to spend time on building the foundation, the volunteers, the infrastructure, the capacity of in which your organization is going to thrive upon. So sometimes I take organizations back to the nitty gritty. I take mm-hmm. them back to square one and, and evaluate what they have going on and what are the gaps in which they need to fill. Um, and being able to kind of be that quote unquote mystery shopper, if you will. So a potential prospective board member ish or potential volunteer staff member who's looking at your organization and saying, Hmm, I have no idea what you do Mm -hmm. while you're in it. You don't think about those things. You don't think about, Oh, well, do they understand what I am doing? I understand what I'm doing, but it's not about you. It's about the people who, um, are looking at you, trying to find you, volunteer or donate to you. So mm-hmm. I give them that um, insider scoop, if you will, but also the angle of being the potential donor and board member and volunteer um, that wants to get involved with your organization. So I give them best of both worlds. Nice. Yeah, we tend to have blinders on in terms of our ability to see 
what we see and, and everything is real from the perspective that we see it from. However, that perspective can be, you know, it could be very broad or it could be very narrow. And so when one has the opportunity to, to get an outside view or to even just within themselves, be able to, to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm looking at this from, from South to North, but what if I looked at it from South East right. to North, like that just changes everything. And, um, you know, it, it's like there's, there's a genre of art that that has these great shapes that just look like shapes and then when you walk around the room they transform into elephants or whatever the right. artist is right. trying to trying to create and that that perspective shift and that ability to either understand that that you have a limited perspective and are willing to hear someone else's point of view on on right. the matter or or be able to shift yourself um is is remarkable so i i think that's that's uh, you know great and i love that you're that you're talking about it from the perspective of not only just um you know just one of the pillars of of what these people are trying to put together but you're you're saying okay well here's what a prospective board member might see if they were looking right. at this here's what a donor might see here's what a potential volunteer or even a stakeholder like even a, a recipient of the a beneficiary of that nonprofit's um you know goodness um this is these are the things that they might be able to see so you're you're taking it from you know you're sitting in all of those different seats at individual times to help them see what how they're coming across right do you work so you you spoke a bit about social media and i know that this is a subject that comes up a lot <clears throat> in the nonprofit space um most nonprofits that I've worked with have an understanding that it's something that they probably should be doing, but they haven't necessarily thought through how they should be doing it. Sure. Um, what, what do you, how do you coach people and how do you, um, how do you talk to nonprofits who just don't fully understand the space? Where, where do you till have them start? Sure. So I love that question because um, I actually offer what I call social media and website audits, and it's really a starting point for organizations for social media and their website. And so my social media audit is kind of, like I said, the mystery shop, the, oh my gosh, I'm so curious to know what someone thinks about us because I can post all day long because it's Tuesday. Um, and there's my social media presence. Um, but the whole idea of the social media audit is for someone like me who may know your organization, but for the most part, I try to be completely uh, oblivious, maybe. Um, and so I review their social media. I look at their aesthetic. I look at their consistency. I look at their content. Um, and I really just uh, look at their social media accounts and make recommendations. And I do that over zoom, um, where it's a recording where they can take this opportunity or this resource and share it with maybe their volunteer team or their social media marketing team. And I also do the same thing with their website. I'm not looking for SEO. I'm not looking for that kind of thing. Um, but again, the mystery shop, if I'm looking at your website and I'm a donor and I'm like, I don't even know what you do or your website's a mess. I don't want to support this. Um, or it just is unorganized and just needs to be made, made over. Um, I give them those recordings. And in that, I give them recommendations for content. I give them recommendations on what to do. Um, so it's the lowest level of commitment that they need to really take that model or that blueprint and run with it. 
Um, mm-hmm. There, organizations oftentimes are like, great, everything we said was incredible. We need more than this, um, which is great. And so I give it, you know, I'd like to give this in bite-sized chunks. So it's not like you're drinking from the fire hydrant, um, but here's the nice piece of cake. And if you or nice piece of cake, and if you want the whole cake, I can give that to you. You just <laughs> tell me what flavor you want, what day you want to deliver it, and I will take care of it. Um, and so the first starting point is a social media audit. I also do this for for-profit businesses as well. Um, and every single business that I've done this with has been like, holy crap, this literally changed your <laughs> life. So that's how I do it. <laughs> that's great. Are there any very common problems that you see over and over again that 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 nonprofits should be wary of or recognize in their own in their own organizations, whether that be posting too much or posting too little or posting at the wrong time or you know, whatever that is, is there, are there any like major ones that come up? I wish that I've ever, I wish that I've seen organizations post too much. Um, <laughs> that is not the case. Um, oftentimes more than not, again, I've never seen it like this for nonprofits. Um, that's why I teach what I teach because my organization had a very tight ship when it came to social media. We, for the most part, 95% of the content that we were pushing out when I was at my nonprofit was all original content. Um, most organizations aren't doing that. Um, most organizations aren't diversifying their content, meaning it's just, you know, uh, article, 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 or picture, 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 picture. And that's great. Um, But what we have to realize is here we are in 2022, the year of uh, TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram reels and Facebook reels. Therefore, you probably know where I'm getting out with this. You need to have more videos. I literally just posted Mm -hmm. something today about that. Um, Saying uh, that organizations need to capitalize on, you know, the things they do. For example, so people listening right now are probably going to be like, oh, well, I don't have the money for that. Here's the thing. When you share testimonial videos, when you share videos of programs, when you share stuff that your organization is doing, I can promise you, I can almost put money on it that someone is going to see that video and be like, I want to donate because they saw the heart of your organization. When you post a quote picture, when you post a blog, when you post other people's content constantly on your page, you never see Target sharing Walmart stuff. You, I mean, right. no offense, but like you, you don't see that. You don't see Amazon sharing, you know, Rachel Ray's pots and paint. You don't see that happening. Um, so I try to tell nonprofits, perfect world scenario is you have to create original content. And here's why in giving you the visual of that. Why would I follow you on social media if you're constantly posting everyone else's stuff? If you're mm-hmm. always posting, you know, you're quote unquote competitors podcast, or you're posting other people's services. Well, I can just go follow them instead. Um, Versus we were creating blogs and having them live on our website. People were eventually asking us to sponsor our blogs, paying us to Mm -hmm. just say, oh, this was paid for by such and such law firm. Um, Just to say that Um, Mm -hmm. we were creating our own videos you know, if you saw in like now this videos and it's like informational, they got all these like cool graphics and stuff. We had that. Um, then when it came to PSAs and like commercials and stuff, we had commercials and we had jingles. We had our own scoring when it came to our videos and stuff. So at the end we had our own little cute little song. Um, 
We worked with influencers. We worked with music artists. Um, we sold t-shirts and we did everything that we could to really raise the bar on how people advocate. Um, so when it comes to what I've seen, I've seen it all, or I've seen a lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so my, biggest, you... my biggest thing is, uh, to get educated. If you don't know something about social media, get training on it. Don't be scared. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I have a client who ha- was producing some fairly, fairly high production value videos. And he, kind of has run into some some money problems and so his approach was to kind of stop as opposed to trying to lean back into authenticity for those out there saying well you know we'd like to do that but we just don't have the budget for it do you do you feel that authenticity rules in this space or do do people really need to try to put together budgets for um you know big graphics packages and jingles and and all of that stuff what what would you say for a nonprofit just trying to get into the video space in that well, in that regard? I just I mean, maybe I'm the exception, but uh, what allowed me to reach and do everything that I've done, it's a it's a couple different layers. Level number one, like the absolute bare minimum level one is you need to have a volunteer team. And a lot of times more than not, a lot of people think that volunteers are replaceable. Um, which they can be, um, or they're just temporary people who are jumping in to help. They can be, again, they can be. Um, However, I was able to cultivate an incredible team of leaders who all had different talents and skills, and I made sure to place them in the organization um, that was best fueling the mission of the cause, but also best fueling them. So my number one piece was you need to have a solid volunteer team. Number two, when it comes to actually paying for videos and voiceovers and all those things, um, I think I I uh, cracked the cheat code. Um, I married one of my content creators. <laughs> um, my husband has an audio production company, and um, he was doing a lot of the work that we were doing as an organization for free or at very low cost. Um, for a long time for us until he was like, I can't, I can't uh, keep doing this for free. Um, and I can't, you know, d- d- donate all this time. Um, but I made sure to be like, you know what, I really appreciate that. We need, and, you know, then telling the board, Hey, we need a bigger budget for stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So by the time I transitioned out of my nonprofit, our budget for multimedia was $12,000, um, which is a lot for a lot of small nonprofits and also full transparency, our annual budget that year was about 300k. So, mm-hmm. um, so about half of it was for multi- multimedia. Um, I mean, was not, it 12, 12k a month or 12k period for the year? For the year, okay. Yeah. So it was so less a thousand than, bucks a month. Yeah. Um. So it was still low. Um. But um, we were able to make it work. Um. Because I also it wasn't just videos that we were doing. We were also going to be putting putting together a full-on tour um, and a documentary with that $12,000. And so then the pandemic hit and that that quite didn't work out that way. Um, But for organizations who want to start out, the first bet is to figure out who your helpers are. The second step is, well, what's the plan? Because you don't necessarily need $12,000 if you just want to make videos. Um, It would be creating a content calendar, talking to someone like me who, you know, does this. 
and who has experience in what you need and having someone figure out for you. If you don't have that volunteer who can put this together for you, it's like, Hey, what do I need? What, what, what do I got to do? Some people just Mm -hmm. need the skeleton, the blueprint. Other people need the actual, okay. We're at the point where we actually need the collateral. Um, And at that point, sure. Reach out to people that can do it for you. I literally just did a, PSA for an organization out in Milwaukee, literally just delivered it today. Um, They're doing a domestic violence awareness campaign. I did the script. I did the voiceover. I had uh, someone do the editing of the video, delivered it, and it will be on social media this week. Um, And she's not even here. I've never met her in real life. We were able (laughs) to talk over Zoom and I delivered this product to her. And so if you're looking for a service like that, where you want to create a PSA or something impactful for your organization, it doesn't necessarily have to be in your city. It could be someone mm-hmm. that has the skills. to do it. That's great advice. I think that so many organization leaders, entrepreneurs feel like they're alone and, and you know, everything you've been talking about today is really leading to that idea that, that you are not alone, that, that not only have most of these problems been been solved before so there are people out there with experience and expertise who are able to help you with them but those there are those people who are willing to help you with, with these things right. and and i think that so i'm on the board of a of a nonprofit and there there tends to be a couple of us who who do a lot of the lifting but you know one of the things that we haven't really done particularly well in that nonprofit is go out to all of the people on our list and just see what other skills are available um, who, who might have the, you know, either equipment or desire or expertise to accomplish X, Y, or Z. And, um, and so I would say that, you know, that, that the nonprofit leaders out there who are struggling with that idea that they have to go it alone, that they have to do everything themselves to, to try to, um, disarm that that default setting and and kind of recreate who you are or who you who you're being in that situation as somebody who is able to ask for help and help is always available right what are the do you, what are the things that you see nonprofits really com- fighting against in terms of of recommendations um, one of the things that I've seen, not necessarily with my nonprofit clients, but, but with some of my for-profit clients is, is this, this, um, I get combativeness around recommendations where there's always an excuse against, um, but, but really, really good reasons to, to explore something new. Are there any areas that you, that you get a lot of pushback from, from people that you work with? Um, so my for-profit clients never blink an eye when it comes to, uh, or never think twice. I don't know if that's the right, uh, analogy, but (laughs) they never think twice about doing social media or not doing social media with me. Um, everyone that hears that I do what I do, they're like, I need, I need what you do yesterday. Um, (laughs) nonprofits on the other hand, um, even though I said this earlier, um, is this idea of going digital makes them cringe. Um, and a lot of times it's because they're not familiar with it. They don't use it. 
Um, you know, if you, if you personally don't use social media, you're not going to think that it's important for everybody else, but you know, there are so many organizations who are literally struggling to stay alive because people aren't donating. People aren't donating because they don't know you exist. They don't know you Mm -hmm. exist because they don't tell anyone you exist. So you can't assume that, oh, because of the, you know, Google algorithm, they're going to see it on Google. Well, I have to be searching for you to find you on Google. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And who's to say that I would potentially look up a, you know, organization in Colorado Springs that saves cats and dogs, unless I'm intentionally looking for cats and dogs. Now, um, just to kind of drop a gem real quick, let's just say I'm, you know, watching hours on end on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook reels. And I come across the cutest video ever. Some little kids playing with cats and dogs were recently rescued. I don't know, I'm making this up. Um, and they got cute music over it. And they're like, thanks to your donation, we were able to save, you know, a hundred cats this month. Um, that's going to pull on my heartstrings and I might hit the follow button and maybe you're going to post something else saying, Hey, we're come do cats and dogs yoga with us. Cause we're hosting an event. <laughs> and I see that and I'm like, I want to go to cats and dogs yoga. And so you see, you see what I'm doing here. Like you're, you're dropping constant gems for people online to find interest in what you're doing. But if you're saying that, stuff that's happened already, old stuff that people are doing, your shirt designs aren't great, your website doesn't look good, your sponsorship packets are outdated and they're they look like you did it on Google Docs and you mm-hmm. printed it and it's all just all over. Um there is a method to all of this madness. And a lot of times organizational leaders will be like, well, I don't know how to do that. So this is just the way it's going to be. Well, I'll tell you this, you are wasting money by not investing in the right way. And all of this comes from my own experience. When I started my nonprofit at 22 years old, I remember self-funding about $14,000. And at the time, again, I was in college. So that was a lot of money for your girl who uh, didn't have a lot of money. Um, But how I did that was I used the money that I had to buy t-shirts that said, break the silence on it. And I posted them on social media saying, who wants to support? I took that money and I reinvested it into the organization. I bought more shirts and I reinvested it so I can buy postcards, um, business cards, banners, the little things to show the awareness. Um, Then I would table at every freaking place there was possibly an opportunity for me to table. Still to this day, we are all triggered at the idea of like, we literally tabled at farmer's markets, at fiestas. I mean, everywhere that you could be at um, that no other nonprofits were, but we were because we wanted to get in the community like no one else was. Um, And so you have to be willing to step outside of that box and do what everyone else is not willing to do. And I'm just getting fired up (laughs) with that. Like, that's really how you're going to stand in your own lane and make it work. So you can literally make an impact. That's why you were created to make an impact. So why not do whatever you can to make that impact? Yeah. One of the exercises that I've been sharing with my coaching clients is this idea of, of planning and creating big goals, but then, and then figuring out what the steps are for those goals. So now you have, you know, a a master plan. And then the next step of the, of the equation is to forget the big goal and just focus on the steps because we tend to 
get discouraged when we're either not making the kind of progress that we might hope to make or or when we see how far we have to go to achieve this big thing by by breaking it down and taking like little steps and you know yes you're going to start out with zero followers or maybe your mom is going to follow you or (laughs) whatever right but that's one person and from there you just keep going and instead of thinking oh i need a million people you just think about how to get to person number two and then to person number five and then to person 10 and and it's it's a really it's really challenging because you know, particularly people who who are founders and entrepreneurs and CEOs and all those people were very, um, you know, goal oriented and so much, in fact, that we tend to forget to celebrate. Right. But um, but uh, and we also move the goalposts all the time, so we never actually cross any any finish lines. But um, but that exercise and just understanding that it's you know it's going to be hard work, but it's going to be fulfilling, and you're. You're changing. You're out there changing the world. Um, I just, I just love that attitude of just you know, just keep grinding and and, right. and figure out one thing to do and and get it done. Right. And one of the things um, that I haven't added yet that I often like to remind nonprofits about, just because again, I'm talking from a place of I was there. Um, not too long ago, I was asked to present at the Leadership Pikes Peak Conference. And I was talking about leadership. And one of the things that I said out loud, which really resonated with a lot of the leaders in the room, was for a lot of us nonprofit leaders, we do this work because we want to change the world. However, there's a however. If we forget that our number one priority is ourselves and our family, we are missing the point. For example, when I was working 20 hours a day, seven days a week, my own family felt like, well, she doesn't have time for me. Well, she doesn't have time because she's always in meetings. I talk about this all the time and I will never forget it. I literally have a video of one of my daughters dressing up like me, like we all dressed up like one another. And she was like, I got to go to work. I got to go to meetings every single day. I got to do what I got to do for BTS. And while that was cute, and I'm sure unintentionally, you know, she just, did it because it was cute, but that literally changed my life because she saw me as I'm too busy and I'm always in meetings and I don't have time for them. So over since that was almost five years ago, over the last five years, I have made it my life's mission to be available for the people that matter to me most. Because I can serve all day long. I can serve on boards. I can volunteer. I can be busy. I can hustle. I can make all this money. But what's the point if my family isn't a part of the mission or any of those things in between? So my message to those listening right now is that 20 hours a day didn't change my life. It did. It actually did change my life. I was sick so much. I was sick all the time. I was tired all the time. My cup just stayed empty. Even though I was doing all this great stuff, that's actually what fueled me to like not my glass to not just crash and burn. Um, But looking at it, that's why I want nonprofits to work smarter because many times more than not, we're leaving our children to go to board meetings all day, overworking your past your eight hours. You have to work on weekends because your boss told you you have to, or else you're going to be fired, or you have to work because who's else, who else is going to do it? I don't care. 
I don't care <laughs> that any of that. I want people who are listening right here, right now to understand that you come first. I think the pandemic showed us, I'm on my soapbox today. Um, the pandemic showed us that life is too short. And while I want people to create an impact and make the world a better place, enjoy the flowers, enjoy the moment right in front of you. Because like you said, sure, create all those goals. And that's great. Like you're going to work towards that. But if you get stuck, like staring at the goal, that's like way far away, you're going to lose sight of like the goals that are going to get to that point. Oh, the opportunities of meeting such and such, or the lunch that I have to have with the CEO of this place, or, you know, the free trip to God knows where, because it's a free retreat that our organization paid for. I have no idea. Um, But soak in all of that goodness so you can rel- relish in the present. So you don't have to focus on the future that you lose sight of the right now. So I'm going to get off yeah. my soapbox. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's that saying, you know, the he who dies with the most toys wins. But what they fail to tell you about that is that those guys never actually get to use any of those toys that they bought. Right. And and so what's the point? Um, and, you know, it is really hard, I think, in the nonprofit space because, you do want to do so much good and there's always, you know, there's always more time that you could put into it or there's more phone calls that you can make or, or, you know, events that you can attend. But, but if it, if it is at the expense of your own health and happiness, um, then it's not uh, going to be a sustainable It's model. not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. worth it. Yeah. And it's right. going to die more quickly. Whereas right. if you, if you do what you just said and you do take care of yourself, then, then you can, you can create a long-term, you know, something that if that over the long-term positively affects more, even more people than, than if you just burn yourself out right. in, in year two. Wow, that was amazing. I <laughs> I don't know exactly how to follow up that uh that amazing um thought that you just shared with us. D- when you see nonprofit leaders doing this, uh, you know, aside from wanting to take them aside and and, and shake them, what are some of the th- what are some of the the tools that you would use to get people to understand that concept of of self-care as well as as um you know, making sure that, that they're taking care of themselves, which is, I guess, the same thing. Teaching people how to take care of themselves is, is a beast in and of itself. Um, because it's very, it's much more deep than, Hey, you should take care of yourself because a lot, it it's so deeply rooted in our DNA and our, and our mind that you literally have to tell people, I'm going to need, I'm going to need to, I'm going to teach you how to take care of yourself. And here's what I mean by that. So we often talk about this idea of self-care as resting, relaxing and whatever, whatever. But what happens if you find joy doing, i.e. nonprofit work? Now you just gave yourself an excuse as to why you work all damn time. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear so many times, oh, well, I love what I do. I, this is this is what I do. And this is what makes me happy. And that's great. But when you don't have time for your kids or your family, or I don't know, taking a vacation, um, 
that's to me, that's not worth it. Now, if mm-hmm. you thrive in, you know, serving other people all the time where you often forget to serve you, I mean, I don't know anyone that has done this, but like at some point or another, you're going to crash and maybe even burn. Um because your cup is going to be so empty. I hear this time and time and time and time again, no matter, I'm not, I won't name any organizations that have had employees contact me. Um, but a hundred percent of them I'm overworked. I feel like I work, um, for pennies. I feel like it's easier to have worked at a prison than it was to work at my nonprofit. And I'm like, Oh my God, now that's too much. And so for nonprofit <laughs> leaders, they they completely at some point lose sight of their staff and their volunteers because they're so focused, like you said, on this goal over here, this one that we're it's like really far-fetched. And all they're doing is like, well, I'm going to race to get it. And mm-hmm. what what does that mean when you do reach this quote unquote goal? And if you're doing this elliptical dance of like, trying to get to this goal. And as a leader of this nonprofit, you're not turning back or turning to your left and right to see where's my team? How are they doing? Are they good? Can I serve them? If you are not doing that, you are not a good leader. I am sorry. I will call you out. And this is exactly what I'm talking about is I love ruffling feathers because so often we lose sight of the right now and and the right now in equivalence to leadership is I call great leaders the people who are willing to get down and dirty and look to the people left and right and say, what can I do to empower you? Because if you think about it, again, it's layers upon layers. If you are a great leader and you want to raise money on autopilot and you want to reach the stars and the moons and everywhere in between, the best thing that you can do is look left to right all around, look pour into the janitor, pour into the people who, you know, bag the groceries at your nonprofit and ask them, how are you doing? What can I do to empower you in your role? And I bet you, if you give them and equip them with the right tools and the right resources, they are going to become great leaders. Therefore, now you have to do less work because now these people are trained to take stuff off of your plate. Look at this crazy madness of a blueprint that can be attained if you just take the time to do it. Um I don't even know what the original question is. I'm just on. I'm just on one today. <laughs> you are you are on a tear today, and it's amazing. And I'm I'm just thrilled that we were able to connect and have this conversation. I can't believe it's been an hour since we started talking. Pretty much. Right. Um, I I just really appreciate you taking the time to chat today, and would uh, we'll we'll circle back and do this again. Um, in the meantime, how can people find out more about you and how you help nonprofits thrive? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, on my website, all at the nonprofit makeover, the nonprofitmakeover.com, at the nonprofit makeover on all the platforms. Um, get in touch with me. Like I do free consultations where I literally spend time listening to your problems. I'm like the nonprofit therapist. Actually, <laughs> that's what I should be called. Um, which I've done. If that I've done the therapy that's my newest program, nonprofit therapy. Um, but no, seriously, like it's, um, an honor to be able to connect with new organizations, whether you're here in the Springs or in Denver or in Wichita, Kansas, wherever you're at. I think the beauty in the work that I do is it's not just about your, your immediate community. I teach you how to reach communities all over the world. Um, and I think just by knowing what you 
learnings, things that you may not know will give you a real cutting edge in helping people in your community for the future. Nice. I love having these conversations and love talking about ways to improve the world, but I also really want people to take action. And if, if people listening to the show today were to take one action after listening to our conversation, what would you have them do? Diversify your funding streams, get prepared. I mean, I know you said one thing, but you know me, I'm over the top. Um, Really find the resources, tap into resources that are going to push you and challenge you to be better. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, it's insanity. And what's crazy, I read this in a book recently, and the book is literally right next to me, and it's called uh, Uncharitable. And literally one of the first few pages of that book, it literally explains what a nonprofit is. Long story short, it says the nonprofits were created to not have um, movement advancement. And so that literally just blew my freaking mind. Um, and in that I want to challenge anyone who's like, "Mm, I'm stuck. Even if you feel stuck a little bit, I want to challenge you to understand that the value in investing in you, your leaders and your organization will literally change your life. If you invest in the right way, the, the whole idea is that you invest and then you make more money. You invest into the stock market because you have hope that you're going to get more money. It's the same thing when you're working with me is that you invest into what I have to share and teach you and you will make more money. So that's, uh, that's my tidbit. Nice. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Kristen. It was really wonderful talking with you. I'm glad that we were able to connect and, um, I will share all of this good stuff in the show notes as well. Thanks for being on. Thanks. Talk to you soon. And there you have it. Another great episode of relish this. Thanks again for listening. You can find past episodes of the show at relishthis.org. And remember, if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on purpose marketing, grab your free copy of my book, Mission Uncomfortable, How Nonprofits Can Embrace Purpose-Driven Marketing to Survive and Thrive. Get your copy now at missionuncomfortablebook.com. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week, won't you?